electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Tim Seymour, Steve Grosso and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Bitcoin nearing a death cross, sending crypto traders into a frenzy. But don't worry, top strategist Tom Lee says keep calm and hodl on. And he says there's a painful method to making money in the cryptocurrency. He'll be here to explain what that is. But first, we start off with the tech tantrum raging on. And the market's fallen angels, these once high-flying stocks that have gone from beloved to discarded. Tesla and Facebook both in bear markets. Google, NVIDIA, Netflix in correction territory. And the latest fallen angel, Amazon, falling more than 4% amid the tech wreckage as investors fear it will become the next target of the Trump administration. The third largest company in the S&P 500 down 10% in just the last week. Will Amazon rise again? And if not, what does that mean for the market, Pete? Well, I think the amazing thing about Amazon is, yes, it's down 10% in the last week. It's still up 22% on the year. So the amazing part is this has trades with an incredibly high valuation. And I think a lot of what we're seeing right now is just a reaction off of Facebook and actually the selling of those FANG names and some of the other tech names as well. But going after many of the names in the, in the market right now that have high valuations, and clearly Amazon would be one of those names. Is it partially, I would say it is, partially because of Mr. Trump? Sure. But I think it even started, as you said, a week ago. It's now 10% since. That's, I think, the selling reason. Can I just interject something real quick? Of course. How long have been doing this show? By the way, great summary. By 11 years. 12 years. 11 years. Somewhere in 11 plus. I'm the, can they play? That was the creepiest music I've ever heard. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. That was your wedding song. It was. You guys, you guys need to hold hands? Who? <laughs> oh. What about Amazon? <laughs> you guys are like yeah, twinsies, no by the way. Get me out. Stop. Let's talk Amazon. La, 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 la. <laughs> Amazon, please. So they report earnings, I think, the middle, April 20th, thereabouts. I don't think the story of Amazon has changed at all, President Trump notwithstanding, right? I mean, clearly, if there are tweets out there, that's going to be a problem. But the story hasn't changed. Last quarter was, I thought, outstanding. I think this quarter will be outstanding as well. Why? Because they can make it outstanding. So what's the trade? Last July, the stock sort of flatlined around $1,000. We traded up to $1,600 or so. So if you want to play the technical game, 1300 ish is a 50% correction. There's a chance in this environment we see it, but ahead of earnings, I think you want to be long to stay right around. The story may not have changed, but has the context of the market yes, changed? Of course it has. And, and we're starting to question valuations that don't make sense in a, in a bear market, uh, or whatever we're calling this market. This is not a bear market yet, but um, I, I do think you have a dynamic where people are reassessing what the multiple should be on NVIDIA. They're reassessing what the multiple should be on Netflix. Um, they've certainly reassessed what the multiple should be on Tesla. Every one of those stories, maybe not Netflix, although you can argue Netflix is in the data war zone as well. I would. Um, but I do think Amazon gets a, a different look. Based upon what this administration did with using security concerns on a national level to target the steel industry and to talk about other tariffs, they can pretty much bend this any way they want. Let's be clear, all right? So if they want to say that Amazon doesn't have material market share to be 
dominating any industries. I think they could find an argument that they do. Right now, this is the this is the beauty of Amazon. They found their way to avoid anti antitrust because they're not so dominant in any one sector. They're just dominating the whole damn thing. I, I, I think, and I think that's something to think about. I think this administration can do what they want here, and that's why the problem is with the administration is they, they, they talk a good game. We talked about it uh, in the last couple of nights. They talk a good game, but the market still factors in what they're saying is gospel. So it doesn't matter whether or not it's all bark and no bite. They still sell the stocks. Selling Amazon is the latest example of that. But I think this week is weekend, month end. You, you have quarter end. There's a lot going on now. Mm -hmm. Next week, different. Yeah. Totally different. Hang on a second. Totally different story. So now, once you get to, into that earnings cycle, mid-April, I think you have a tailwind to the corporate tax cut. This could do. They could do a lot of damage between now and then, on our, uh, before earnings, though. I feel like you, you've said a few times, though, that you think that the, the, all the talk, the market doesn't believe them. That look at the steel tariffs. They're cutting deals with other people. No, the and market ultimately... sells off regardless of whether or not. And I think it was frustrating because I did think that it was all bark, no bite. And the market right. still sold off with the Asian scare, still sold off with the steel scare. It's a buying opportunity, but you've got to wait. No, so you think, wait so you're saying the market is responding to this stuff. The market now. is definitely responding yeah, to this stuff. It and is. It's looking for a reason to sell off. So, so the, the reason du jour is, is President so Trump's. So it's looking for a reason to sell off, which would imply that this is a valuation question. It's a valuation question in the market in light of, of the risk profits, has come on. Bunch, a bunch of paper profits and high-flying tech names that they don't want to so give up. So the story hasn't changed is what you're that. saying. The story of these story stocks, because all of these things are story stocks, whether it be Netflix, you want to believe the international yeah. growth, right? Amazon, you want to Nvidia they're going to the turn the channel and you know turn the knob and start making money. Tesla, they're going to all of a sudden ramp up Model 3 production eventually. They're going to you know decarbonize the grid or whatever you want to call it. These are story stocks. Are those stories over? I don't think that they're over, but I think you do have to remember one thing. And Guy, you mentioned about how you think the earnings are going to be great. I happen to agree with you, but I think the one area where Amazon has real strength is AWS, right? I mean, that, that has been where you find margin. It's where you find all the things at Amazon that really is boosting everything else in the e-commerce of what they really are. They're getting eaten up, I think, a little bit, slowly but surely, by the rest of the cloud names, specifically Microsoft. Microsoft. Of course they are. I knew so you were going to say because that. Because of that, I are. think that's something people have to be very aware of, is that growth has slowed. It's still growth, but it is slowing, and it's yeah, something people need to pay attention up. to. I don't know if that's where the margin margins are. I think that's where the commoditized space will be, and Amazon will do it, and that will, in effect, pull down Microsoft. Microsoft might be winning now. But I think mean, overall, they all lose on but, cloud. But th so think about Amazon um, relative to Facebook. And I, I just want to highlight that Facebook underperformed before Cambridge Analytica yeah. for, for, for two years. Okay, um, how long we've been digesting their role possibly in manipulation of, of election results, or you know, et cetera, I, I think doesn't matter. I think Facebook was trading with at least a weight on its shoulders that Amazon may be digesting for a while. And I think it's fair to say that in this market, people are questioning We're multiples for the first self-inflicted with Facebook, time. though. They tweaked the news feed. I think that's when the, started, the problem started. And if you look back to December, that's when the chart rolled over. They tweaked the news feed because they wanted to be a good global citizen. So I agree with you. Now the story has a little more legs to it. It can ripple through. But Amazon is not self-inflicted. I think Facebook's was. We didn't even once mention a broader market, but we might as well because it's interesting that the S&P continues to sort of trade right around the levels that Steve pointed out last week, this 2585 levels right in the crosshairs. The fact that we haven't been able to bounce and hold on to those bounces, I think 
for the technicians out there is a wee bit concerning. And here's, tech isn't helping. And here's something sure. else. The, the, yeah. the dollar rallied 80 bips today. And if the dollar gets in the way, it's going to be a very dangerous thing for this market. The other side of that is also we had more damage, if you want to call it. Some people might be rooting for this. But rates went lower again today, at least on the 10-year. We probed down to 274 on the 10-year before closing back up around 277. Um, I think this is something that also, I think the street is very offsides in this trade. Everybody has been expecting these, these long rates to go to three very quickly and possibly prepare for three and a quarter, 350. That's not happening, and I think there's a lot of pain. The there. best news for the market, mm -hmm. earnings season's about to kick off once again, mm -hmm. because I think that will be the catalyst, and if I'm right, that's going to be the catalyst that actually pushes things back the up. The catalyst across the board. You think on every single conference call they're not going to talk about not the, every possibility, single, but the most. possibility of the tariffs? The chill in the market because of the threat of the tariffs. No. They're not going to talk about potential regulation of the tax I think they're going to talk, they're about, talk about all of that, right? Yeah, they're going to I mean, talk about some the of the They're definitely going to talk about that. But I think that we all know, and Steve points it out, and I think you're exactly accurate, it's about negotiation. And that's what we've seen from this president now for over 12 months. So you buy months. Amazon here on this pitch? No, because no, this, no, why not? No. Why not? Because you said they, they because throw I, it out there, then they walk yeah, it back. So biggest, why wouldn't they walk it back, Well, my biggest problem with Amazon is... What I think is going on with Amazon is I think Microsoft is winning. So because of that, if that's where their margins are coming from, is AWS, Plus, or that's the where flush. they're getting. Plus, you have to see the flush. That flush can last. He's talking about earnings right. season, as I am. That flush could last. But I'm talking two about weeks. And I'm, there could be a lot more technical yeah. damage in the S&P. The S&P could be creating. The S&P could be. So you're not a buyer lower. of Amazon or any I'm of these stories until earnings season until earnings starts. Season. How about you? I hate watching the flush. I think April 20th thereabouts. I think the quarter's going to be outstanding. I hear AWS, but there's enough other things that I think operating margins can be outstanding. I do think, though, in the tape we have, there's a chance that it makes that 50% retracement down to $1,300. Would you buy Amazon or any of these story fallen angels? Story stocks no. in this market. No, like I've made a, I've made I think a very clear statement about what I think is also just the issue with data uh, and where some management are better prepared than others, and I think concerns people have. Um, I've been saying for two months. I think there are a lot of factors for these markets. These are market stocks. They are market proxies. When the market goes down, they're going down with it, or they're taking it down. Take our, it. our next guest is the biggest bull in the street, and he doesn't like tech. <laughs> so how does that all jive? Let's welcome UBS strategist Keith Parker. Keith, welcome. I think you're the only strategist out there who actually does not like tech. I mean, it's a rare strategist who actually does not like tech. Why not? Long term and, and, and strategically we do. I think I sat here February 5th when the VIX spiked to 50. In those instances where you have those vol shocks, what do people buy? Buy stuff that has momentum and growth. And we've seen tech significantly outperform through this vol environment. And about now, six weeks after that vol peak, you start to see those momentum stocks fade. And tech in the crosshairs of regulatory scrutiny and trade wars, I think, is a logical place to reduce exposure tactically. So that's a tactical call. How long is that call on for? What do you need to see in order to become positive again on technology? I, I think you've seen valuations compress. I think to the guy's point about earnings season, I think that is key as a, as, as a, a point of support. Um, but also, we're seeing uh, value stocks perform quite a bit better. And around this time, that usually starts to lead the market. And I'm encouraged by the fact that the S&P equal weighted index has outperformed through this last sell-off, meaning guys are taking off some of the winners and putting risk in other places. So you're looking past the index market cap weighted, which really skews towards technology, and you're seeing the performance elsewhere. Exactly. So you're bullish on the markets. 
is it how what kind of call is that and can the markets rally i guess without technology even if it's a tactical call on your part on tech yeah, i think i think near term the key next week for me is the first string of data we have ism payrolls uh, that I think defines the, the atmosphere for the, the going into earnings. I think earnings expectations for Q1 are low. Tax by our math was an 8% boost and Q1's only been revised up by six. So we see pretty big buffer. And we have seen the key component of the first driver of the sell-off and in our view, the main one, rates volatility, come down significantly. So we see... So, Keith, when you look at it, though, when you to, to Melissa's last point, when you look at the percentage of technology in the S&P and then you look at value, the percentage of that, are you looking at energy? Are you looking at industrials on the next infrastructure play? And do you really think people are going to uh, rotate out of tech and buy energy that just hasn't worked for five years? I mean, what's, what's typical at this point, I mean, we're looking for a support level. The S&P PE on a forward basis hit 16 times. We were there post-Brexit. We were there pre-election. And so it's usually about catching up. And our view was, you know, where should we look in terms of value? Energy relative dividend yields hit a near peak last Wednesday when we made that call. The boost from uh, higher oil prices has obviously made that trade work a little bit, but I think of it more of a catch-up, and we need tech longer term and through the rest of the year to lead the market higher as well. What's the biggest wild card when it comes to your 3150 S&P 500 target? Yeah, I think the, the valuation argument in this volatility regime, in this regime where we're worried about rates and inflation, is a more difficult call. I mean, we, we, we were at 18 and a half times forward uh, plus in January, we're now at 16 times. That derating is just massive. And I think you need that uncertainty to come down first on rates, next on trade, and questions about earnings, which I think we will, and, and stay positive through the course of the year. All right, Keith, good to see you. Thank you. Keith Parker of UBS, what did you do today? Well, I, I, love, I love hearing Keith say that, not because I'm, I'm pulling valuations, valuations mm -hmm. but I, I just don't believe that people can be looking at the market and putting the same, look, you re-rate as a market multiple-wise based upon the cost of equity and based upon factors related to uh, the discount rate and overall risk factors. So anyway, what else did I do? Um, because I've been leaning more to the cautious side, I actually had a couple commodity stocks that blew through stops. I, I took a little pressure off the table. I, I want to be able to sleep at night in this market. I want to be able to have powder. I want to be able to be... Uh, uh, active when I think this market gets possibly a little nastier. And Tim mentions having powder. I've got some powder, and I actually have been deploying some of it recently. I've had to be patient in energy. And that was the one thing that I took away from listening just now to Keith was energy. He talks about that value. as the rotational area and value and all the rest of it. I'm there, but i got to tell you something. It's going to take a lot of patience because I've been there for a while. I haven't seen any results, and I don't know when we're going to finally see Exxon and Chevron and some of those energy names start to move to the upside. I like the fins. The one thing I did add today, Microsoft. I love that name. Had a little bit of a pullback under 90. I thought it was time to get back in. I like that name. I think defensive. it goes a lot higher. Yeah. Sold my major positions. We'll talk about it later. In, in technology specifically. Very sensitive. Oh, hey. yeah. Yeah. Wow. This, this, there's a healthcare rotation going on very quietly, but the IBB was up almost a percent today. And so Big Cap Pharma seems to be doing okay on this tape right now, which is somewhat interesting, I think. All right, coming up, Apple CEO Tim Cook speaking out in a fiery interview about the failures of Facebook. And he has some choice words for Mark Zuckerberg. We'll hear what he had to say. Plus, Tesla going from bad to worse. The stock is down 34% from its recent highs, and celebrity CEO Elon Musk might be to blame. We'll explain. And later, Bitcoin down more than 40% from the highs. It's nearing the dreaded death cross. But if you're scared, don't worry. Tom Lee will tell us the one reason you should own Bitcoin right now. You're watching Fast Money. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple CEO Tim Cook making some fiery comments about Facebook's recent missteps. For more, let's go to our very own Josh Lipton, who was there. Hey, Josh. Melissa, that was an interview that took place today right here at Lane Tech High School in Chicago. Recodes Kara Swisher, MSNBC's Chris Hayes talking to Tim Cook at length. He touched on a number of topics, including Facebook's data scandal. Take a listen. We're looking at every app in detail. What is it doing? Is it doing what it's saying it's doing? Is it meeting the privacy policy that they're stating, right? And so we're always looking at that. Um, should we raise the bar even more? We're always looking at improving and raising the bar. Mark Zuckerberg, what would you do? What would I do? Um, I wouldn't be in the situation. Now, Melissa, in addition to Facebook's data scandal, uh, Cook did touch on the company's plans for that new campus, said it's not going to be in California, also said they're not planning on doing any kind of beauty contest for where that campus is going to be. And that, of course, sounded like a pretty nice, clear shot at Amazon and Jeff Bezos. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thanks, Josh. Josh Real quick, I know yeah. we're going to have a, uh, an interesting... Uh, speaking of beauty contests, did you, did you see that rig Josh Lipton had on that what, he had like a parka on like an anorak or something I mean look at that I is mean, a one handsome man out cold, there he's a snorkeler. He's cold climbs man, look snorkel today. jack had a hood the whole thing waterproof look, look at that yeah baby that's the NBC logo that's actually a spray on beard look at that's that not even real straight out of the anyway. Jason <laughs> <Penny> catalog <laughs> enough true. flattering Josh Lipton <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sorry about Josh. That. <laughs> Josh Lipton for us. All right, so what do we make of Tim Cook's comments? Should he have said those things about Mark Zuckerberg, the need for increased regulation, the fact that he... he it's if, the second time he said it. I mean, he said this yeah. at the, at, in Beijing uh, three or four days ago, and right. he said it, you maybe thought for the audience, but um, he said the situation has gotten so dire that he would actually be pulling for either some more severe regulation, as, as you pointed out. So... Um, I don't think Apple is positioning themselves also for the broader, you know, political environment. So I think this is truly what Apple feels. I think they have a culture that's been very protective of, of data, and I think that's that's what's coming through here. Right, or, or he doesn't feel, it, he doesn't have the risk that a Facebook has, so he's doing one of these, look over there, not over here. He wants right. to get the heat off of him, whatever shape or form that might be, but he's definitely not under the magnifying lens as a Facebook is, and it seems like the best defense is a great offense, and that's what it looks like he's doing. He is under the micro, uh, microscope when it comes to shipments. I mean, we got Goldman Sachs and RBC both trimming their iPhone sales estimates, shipment estimates. Yes, and Pete can speak. But what I was going to say was, yeah. I thought it's interesting. He, in answer to that question, what would you do if you were Mark Zuckerberg? I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, be in, in that, that situation. Yeah, in that position. That's 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 sort of an interesting answer. I mean, how do you know? Listen, I'm not a Mark, right? it is aggressive. Yeah. I'm not a Zuckerberg apologist. I'm sure he doesn't want to be in that position. But to say I wouldn't be in that position in the first place. That's a tad I'll tell you why I think he said that. I'll tell you why I think he said that. I think everybody's reading that as well. You know, he's given a shot. I think the shot that he's giving him is. I would have got on that right away. I mean, my biggest criticism of Facebook so far How has they been handled it. they have handled this so poorly. They didn't, they didn't immediately get out in front of it. And when they did, it was written about. It wasn't even in an interview. There was no back and forth. There wasn't anybody pressing him. I mean, that took a long time. I think that frustrated a lot of people in Silicon Valley, particularly Tim Cook, who they respect the privacy rules, laws that are out there, and they try to play by those as much as they possibly can. So I think, I think it's interesting. You don't think Facebook would have lost... $100 billion in market cap over the, these, you know, week plus oh, if they, he had gotten out 
They earlier. probably would have, but maybe it would have happened quicker. But I still think you socially need to get out in front of a bad news story. But this gets back to, I mean, is anyone really surprised that the centralized platform where you are getting it for free, that you are the product and that you are essentially being sold? I mean, this is, this is the thing that to me is I don't think people should be waking up and feel like Facebook is a big bad villain. They should look in the mirror and say, this is what I've not been going. I haven't been going through the happen. settings. I've let this happen to myself. By the way, this is, this is why crypto has a future, because it's all about decentralizing and giving people the same power, and I think that's However, what's going on. with two billion people out there, let's think about a lot of where they're coming from and all the rest of that, too. I mean, they're not Tim Seymour in New York City, and as sophisticated as you are, no, and as hey, educated, and ah. as educated, quite Here frankly, of the two billion people that are sitting there on Facebook. That's true. And I think that's part of the issue as well. That's why you get out, got to get out there in front yeah. of it. It's not to protect you. It's to protect a lot of the people out there that are using it for all the reasons they want and to, and they don't know, they don't understand it's getting sold. And more Specifically, when it comes to Facebook, it's not only just selling your data, but selling the data and then not making sure that, that it ended there. Right. That it wasn't then sold again yeah. wrongfully. And when they knew about it, they didn't do enough to make sure that that data was back. They said, can you delete it? They're like, well, okay, fine, we'll delete it. But they never really enforced so that. I I think that's true. Uh, they've certainly made mistakes here. I'm, I'm just pointing out that, you know, if we're going to now try to whitewash everybody that's that's in the position of collecting data, I think you have to and be careful it. about that. Well, then where but does Tim it end? Cook, Tim Cook's not in that business. So Tim Cook can be out there. He's selling hardware. Until proven otherwise, he's a hardware company but, that's trying to get into software. But this is an interesting question. Where does it end? Okay, because we were thinking about Twitter. We were thinking about Snap. We're thinking about Alphabet. How about Visa and MasterCard? How about all these other guys who know a lot about us and sell. How many times have you signed up for something and that list then gets sold? Right. Where does this all end in terms of protecting our data and who falls in the crosshairs of regulation at this point? Well, I mean, talk about Experian. I mean, that, but the, the bounce back in that stock was pretty dramatic. David Seberg talked about that. I can't speak to MasterCard and Visa, but you're right. I mean, our data is all over the place. It's shocking to me that some of these, you know, companies like Palo Alto Networks and Symantec haven't done better in this environment. This is, should be the sweet spot for them. Quite frankly, the stocks have languished. But to your point, Facebook's probably the tip of the iceberg with all that stuff. And the question comes down to this. Is this a speed bump for them, or is this fundamentally changing their business? I think speed bump. I think other people disagree. Still ahead, Grossler here, hitting the sell button on some of his biggest holdings today. So when is the right time to sell your winners? He'll explain the method to his trading madness right after this. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Tesla shares are crashing, and there's something to suggest the pain is just starting. We'll explain. Plus, Bitcoin is nearing a death cross. Yes, but Bitcoin bull Tom Lee says, hodl on. Because there's one simple reason to own Bitcoin right now. And he'll tell us what that is when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's time to unveil something that we have been excited about for a very long time. Our new Bitcoin bug. It's finally here. See you right there. And just in time for the crash. <laughs> it's a bit of a sad day for such a glorious announcement since Bitcoin is now below 8,000. There's something in the charts that could signal the worst is yet to come for the cryptocurrency. Bob Bassani's at the NYSE. He'll tell us what that is. Bob. I'm always the doom and gloom guy. This is the dreaded death cross where the 50-day moving average crosses the 200-day moving average. Now, this is considered a negative technical indicator. It's often associated with downward market trends. Now, we're not there yet. The 50-day moving average is 96.11. The 200-day is 
75, 79. So we have a ways to go here, but the trend is moving in that direction and that's getting a lot of attention. So will it hit the cross? So the issue here is we've had a drop from nearly 20,000 back in December all the way down to 8,000 to get close to this death cross. So this is a huge drop. So we need to drop nearly $2,000 more to get into that death cross. So the question here is whether the bears are going to run out of steam getting it this far down. I think it's possible. Sure. Remember, we were it's what, 6,000 back in February. I wouldn't count on it, and I'll tell you why. We've had this death cross scare before, and it hasn't worked. We've had three death crosses with Bitcoin in the last several years. We had one in April of 2014, we had one in September of 2014, and we had another one in September 2015. You know what happened? Selling then only worked in September 2014. The other two times Bitcoin rose shortly after passing the death cross. It didn't decline. So be a little skeptical in the cases of Bitcoin when you get so much volatility about death crosses. Melissa, back to you. Were there golden crosses, Bob? Uh, you know what? I need to check that. But more than likely there was. You mean where yeah. the it reverses, where right, the, right, two, right. Yeah. The, the 200 goes above? Yes. That right. would have been make, that okay. made sense. Thanks, Bob. Bob Pisani. Okay. Despite the wreckage, one of Wall Street's biggest crypto bulls has a message for investors. Keep calm and hodl on. Tom Lee of Fundstrat <laughs> joins us now. Tom, great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for um, having me. You know, when we put out there on Twitter that you're going to come on, we got a little bit of flack out there because you just come on and say, buy Bitcoin, keep holding, keep holding, keep holding, or hodling, whatever you want to call it. Um, but your premise of, of buying it and holding it is backed up, you say, by numbers, by data. Yes. Um... So it's a simple exercise. You know, people have done it for equities for a long time. But if you take out the 10 best days for Bitcoin every year based on percentage change, Bitcoin's fallen 25% a year. So in other words, the gains in Bitcoin occur in a very short number of days. And even last year, for instance, if you exclude the 10 best days, Bitcoin was only up 200%. So in other words, that whole 1,600% move was actually concentrated in a handful of days. How confident are you that historical data holds for an asset like Bitcoin when uh, the liquidity has changed so dramatically over the course of this many years? And um, I mean, it's a fair question. Uh, you know, this idea of avoiding market timing, really, that's why you want to make sure you capture the 10 best days, is really worked in a, in a lot of liquid markets for years, right? For S&P, it's really been since 1954. And in Bitcoin, there's consistency. So it's not as if when you look at the, the history of Bitcoin, that there's a few years where this is the case, it's really occurred in every single year. But Tom, if I was holding an S&P, a Spider or something, I, you know, I, I want to not miss, I want to just be there for the ride. I think one of the concerns here is that Bitcoin, you know, if, even if you're in those days, you have to believe you're going to have those days again. Obviously, there's still a very existential question about Bitcoin's viability. Um, maybe, maybe not crypto as an asset class, but is Bitcoin the player? I mean, we, we don't know that. And, and that's for guys that are in this asset, um, this pain is, is, is something that says, by staying in it, I could, make, I could be in the, the 10 worst days of 2018 and be much worse off. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the mood in crypto is, is, is terrible right now. So, I mean, I think long-term holders are worried because they have big gains and they're worried about falling prices. But Bitcoin is a great store value. It works really well. It's kind of boring because it's not like the latest uh, and most exciting project. But it also is one of the most liquid ways to get exposure to crypto. I mean, there's a lot of on-ramps being built from, you know, futures and I think potential ETFs. And it's probably the clearest from a regulatory perspective. So 
I think when institutions start to really get involved and, and they aren't in a big way, Bitcoin's going to be one of the first places they start. The price of Bitcoin started sideways-ish. Is your misery index unmiserizing? In other words, as we go sideways, are people feeling a little bit better about things, which implies you could see another move lower if that's the case. Yeah, so the, the misery index is still low. Um, it's around 28, which is a level of misery. Um, you guys have better graphics again on that. Um, so I don't think anyone who owns crypto should feel confident. But, you know, we... You know, we still think Bitcoin's in a bull market. So I don't think we have the conditions that took place in 2014, which was a huge liquidity shock, right? I mean, you had the largest exchange announce a massive hack. I mean, that, that's not the type of seismic event taking place in crypto today. Is, is crypto, is this call and, and your calls around Bitcoin these days, are they the hardest to defend out there? I mean, you've done a lot of good work on stocks. You've been a strategist on the street, well-known, well-regarded. And here you are talking about Bitcoin in what has been a terrible market for Bitcoin. Um, Do you it feel reminds, like the, yeah. I mean, when we talk about in institutions coming in, is yeah. this harming um, that move or, or what you see coming? It's, uh, so it, it's kind of a mixed blessing. One, it, it reminds me a lot of my work when I was a wireless analyst in the 90s, you know, where people thought it was all about long distance and plain old telephone service and people thought cellular was this crappy little capital intensive business, which now is bigger than everything. Um, but, you know, we're doing a lot of calls and meetings with traditional managers. They're taking this chance for while well, Bitcoin's consolidating and they're seeing the case for it as a real store value and there's real plumbing being built to get educated. So I, I think this is actually great timing because it, it doesn't force investors to jump in and, and then learn later. It's giving a chance to really study this. So I, I, as bad as it feels now, I think it's actually the kind of environment you want. Last quick question, right here, right now. Fresh money into Bitcoin or the S&P 500? Um, if it's between now and year end, yes. uh, it's easily Bitcoin. But we are bullish on equities. It's just I think Bitcoin has a lot more upside. Okay. Tom, good to see you. Thank you. Great. Tom Thanks, Lee. guys. A fun strat. Quick question, please. Not to Tom, to you. I, I, we yes, sit here wherever. What? You said we have a new... A Bitcoin bug. See, what's the, new about it? I'm not trying to be... A, it's, what's new about it? Could you tell me what's new about it? It's Please. new. I mean, if, I, if we could do a split screen with the new and versus the old, Probably you can see how improved it is versus the old. Pete, it can is, you tell the difference? Don't... I mean, come on, help me. It's Vision's the, bad. It's I don't... It's the I can't same see in that it's still the price of Bitcoin. Is the Bitcoin uh -huh. logo on top? Is that... It's Bitcoin got the logo. Bitcoin. Okay. Okay. So now we're getting to it. Okay. 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 By the way, I think since we put that that little thing up, I think we actually crushed... I think we actually crashed Bitcoin. Mark the top. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm sure other people think that. <laughs> sure. I'm just moving on here. Still ahead, the wild market swings with Steve Grasso kicking some of the, his big winners to the curb. So how did he know that now was the right time on to get out? Crypto. He's got three classic sell signals. Plus, Tesla shares skidding out of control now, down more than 30% from its September high. And there's something in the charts that suggests the stock could plunge another 20% from here. We will break that down much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got breaking news out of the White House. Elon Moyes in D.C. with the details. Elon. Melissa, Veterans Affairs Secretary David Shulkin is out. President Trump said over Twitter that he will nominate Admiral Ronnie Jackson to replace him. Ronnie Jackson is the White House physician 
who had overseen the president's physical. He was first nominated to that position in 2006 by George W. Bush. And in a statement, President Trump said that Admiral Jackson is highly trained and qualified. He has seen firsthand the tremendous sacrifice our veterans make, and he has a deep appreciation for the debt our country owes to them. Now, uh, the new Veterans Affairs Secretary would have to be confirmed by the Senate. Uh, Secretary Shulkin had been confirmed unanim unanimously by the Senate until a replacement can be confirmed. Uh, President Trump saying that Robert Wilkie of the Defense Department will serve as acting secretary in his stead. Back over to you. All right, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in D.C. Uh, does this uh, bring back concerns about the turnover within the administration, Tim? It does. I mean, this isn't a headline cabinet post, but, but the appointment is an interesting one, um, and obviously one that's difficult to criticize, because then you're criticizing veterans, even though if it's about suitability. Switching gears, shares of Tesla in a bear market, but it's not just the company's stock price that could have investors running from the automaker. Take a look at Tesla bonds. While the stock is now down 16% year-to-date, Tesla bonds have also just crashed to an all-time low. At one point, the company's benchmark bonds were trading at 86 cents on the dollar. But there seems to be one person who is immune to all the panic. Elon Musk. And nowhere is that more apparent than in his Twitter account. It's not just how much Musk is tweeting, it's also what he is tweeting. If you take a look at even just the past week, he's done everything from criticizing Facebook to responding to accusations that he's trolling his followers. This while also musing about becoming a rock star. He shares some age-old wisdom from his own mother. So with Musk's erratic tweets coming at a time when the company's facing major issues and ahead of a key delivery number next week, could Musk himself be Tesla's biggest problem? Who would like to opine on this? He is not. The he's biggest the biggest problem. asset. He is definitely Still. the biggest asset. Okay. I think he's a, the crazy genius crazy. type. I think everyone <laughs> understands. No one's looking for him to play, play it straight laced. <laughs> this is him. This is what his personality is. I think we've seen, maybe maybe not to this extent, or maybe we have, we've seen these this type of action from him before. I think if he were to leave Tesla, that would be the end of the stock. So I, I still believe he's the biggest asset, not a liability. I agree with that as well. When the stock's going higher, everything he's doing now makes him eccentric and colorful. He and burnishes his reputation as a celebrity CEO. Now, when the stock's going down uh, and below levels that we can talk about, it makes him, what do you word use? A, a detriment, liability. a liability. I, I do think he's their greatest asset. But now the stock's below the 280 level that I've talked about for a long time. The game has obviously changed. I've been bullish for a long time, but you have to be, stick to your guns. And that 280 level went through it like, you know knife what? Knife through butter. Like you, What's nice. the next level there, then? Got next stop. Uh, well, <laughs> the next level is the not a pretty low, one. Let's put it that way. I, well, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not get crazy. But the next level is probably in like the low 200s. Well, I mean, at 250, there's a, there's, a, there's a little bit of resistance, and then you go to 220. But again, we sliced through 280 like nobody's business. 257 close. Um, is it a production problem yeah. right now, though? Or the, the I think the bigger fear out there right now is the whole idea of the capital raise. I think everybody's Which looking at this Which comes from a production again. issue, though. Yeah, but uh, production's yes. a bit, that's been the issue time and time again. How many times have we heard about, well, you know, the Model the 3, we're falling behind. The longer the ramp well, takes, the flow. more money that they yeah, need. They, no doubt so about it. But, uh, but why, why is that a story today, and it wasn't a story two weeks ago? Moody's downgrade, I think, is part right, of it. Right, right. But does this go back to 
uh, this de-risking no. of the market and, yeah, and the lack sure. of faith in these story stocks that we had faith in before. Yes, certainly. But I also it. think yeah. we're now days away from a production release. I think the closer yeah. you get to this story, the more speculation you can have. There's a couple interesting points. J.P. Morgan has an option strategy add-on. You know, there are ways to position for this, um, and we've talked about it on the show. Whether you actually think that if they get to the production numbers, you know, what's the risk reward in the stock? And we, you know, a lot of people were saying higher. Um, I, I think they get to production, mm -hmm. there's going to be relief, but I think the damage is, is, is in there. We have said this time and time again that every time they went to the markets, they have never had problems no, tapping the capital markets, whether that be through debt or through an equity issuance. Yep. This time around, does it change? Feels much different now, doesn't it? Every time they've done a capital raise, I mean, they've done a secondary, the market has rallied off the back of that, which has been remarkable. Mm -hmm. And Elon Musk has been on the other side of a few of those, right? So. The environment feels much different now. Again, I've been bullish clearly the last month and a half. I've been dead wrong. 280 was my level. And I think to Tim's point, the crosshairs of the stock right now are in the 215. And is there an level. appetite out there right now for that kind of risk? I mean, obviously, the last couple of trading days, no. But is there truly, I mean, looking further out than just a couple of days, is there enough out there where people are willing to say, you know what, let's do it again. Let's raise whatever amount of and money. And let's buy they, into the issue. And buy into the Look idea. at their credit. I mean, right. you never have to go too much further than the credit. And, and, and that is telling you all you need to know, that this is a very different issuance market for these guys on the equity yes. side than it is. It's going to be a lot more expensive. While the options market is implying things are about to get much worse for shares of Tesla, let's go out to Mike Cohen, San Francisco, with more. Hi, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so we did see well above average options volume in Tesla today. In fact, close to three times the average daily put volume. And the trades that interested me most were the June 200 puts. We saw over 7,500 of those trading for about 10 bucks. So buyers of those are making bets that there could be a lot more pain to come, a decline of over 20 percent that would be in about the next three months. And to the point you guys were just making, you know, the debt guys look at cash flow. It doesn't have any. It's negative cash flow. And the equity guys tend to look forward to earnings. It doesn't have any of that either. So, you know, when you think about it, that kind of a decline, maybe 8 to $10 billion in enterprise value would take it down to a little bit below Ford. That's an easy move, I think, from here. Wow. All right, Mike, thank you. Mike Coe in San Francisco for us. A reminder, we're off on Friday, uh, so uh, you can check out the full wow. show next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Really, I mean, uh, right, honestly, right when we need you. Yeah, well. Just when I needed you most. There's an options newsletter you can sign up yeah. for also, by the way. Still ahead, more <laughs> autos. Phil Lebeau has, uh, has been at the New York Auto Show all day where trade wars was a hot topic among the CEOs. He'll tell us what they said. Plus, Steve Grosley here dumping some of his big winners today. So what has him kicking them to the curb? We will explain. He will explain when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. If all of the recent market volatility has you questioning whether or not to hit the sell button, don't worry. Seagrass is over at the Plasma to break down when to sell your winners in a segment we like to call The More You Know. Grasso? So, first of all, it, it, this is a very personal decision, which when you have to make up your own mind and your own portfolios, for me, you have to look at why are you in the trade to begin with? Is it fundamentally? Do you believe in the story? Is it a technical thing where you're just looking for a bounce? So that's the number one question you have to ask yourself. Usually, it's both, right? So you have to believe in the story, and then you look for an entry level on technicals to confirm that you actually want to buy into this story. Then, this is a little bit more difficult. You have to analyze the risk tolerance. So these are winners that you're selling. So you actually have to look at how much profit are you willing to give back 
off the latest peak in the stock price. So that's a very difficult one when you have a high flyer and you have winners, but that's a choice that you have to make on your own as well. Here's the most important thing in this market right now. You have the Trump effect. You have the valuation effect. You have rates increasing. So all of these, this is the one you want to focus in on because 70% of all stocks trade with the overall market. So you could have the best fundamental story, the best technical set setup. If the overall market sells off, your stock is selling off as well. Steve, I got a quick question for you. It's Pete. Sure. What, which of the stocks? <laughs> Who else would it be? Well, you know, I sound a little like Tim or Anyway, guys, go, go, Not go, at all. go. Of the stocks that I see up on that board right now. <laughs> sure. Which one was the most difficult for you to make the decision and say, you know what, I'm going to take this one off and why? So here's the thing. Tim brought it up at the top of the show. You have to have the pillow test, the sleep at night test, which makes you feel better at night in case the market caves. I'm away next week. I wanted to clear the slate a little bit. It's before earnings season, so I think the market will have that humongous swish to the downside. This was a difficult one. This was a difficult one. The, the play on uh, all of these, with the exception of this, Overstock. Overstock was basically my Bitcoin, every coin, blockchain play. These were my biggest positions, all of the other names. So I do intend on buying these back eventually. It could be in the next couple of weeks or so when the market flattens out. But I have to see technical confirmation that the sell-off is done. But I believe in those stories fundamentally. So those were my children. Those were the ones I had a hard time letting go today, Pete. Uh, just to be clear, Grasso, you're completely out of all of those positions? I am completely out of all of those positions. Clean slate. I want to take a fresh look at it. And when you look at this chart, this is the 50-day moving average. Just to put a bow on it, when the stock breaks down before, uh, on the 50-day, that's where it runs out of momentum. You can say it broke here. But the problem is the S&P was doing this on the way up. So it was the, there was no macro confirmation to get out of it. This was the macro confirmation. That's why I sold. All right. Thanks, Grasso. The Thank more you. you know. Still ahead, Tesla and NVIDIA pulling the plug on autonomous driving this week. But there's one major automaker going full speed ahead. We'll hear from the CEO. We are live at the Nasdaq market site in New York City's Times Square. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money, the New York Auto Show officially opening to the public on Friday. And our very own Phil LeBeau got a little sneak peek of the action. So, uh, Phil, you spoke to the Jaguar Land Rover CEO. Yeah, you know, Rolf Spaeth is an interesting guy. And basically the question I had is, who was talking to who first? Did you approach Waymo? Did Waymo approach you when it comes to developing and building these 20,000 self-driving, all-electric Jaguar I-Paces that will start coming out in 2020? He basically said, we found each other. Look, there, there's partnerships in the end. It's, it was a natural fit for Waymo. It wasn't like they were going to go to General Motors. Um, and I think it's a pretty smart choice for them because it's a brand new vehicle. It's all electric, which is what you want in terms of your uh, ride share services. So uh, he had an interesting perspective. Here's what he had to say in terms of what they think about the, the future when it comes to the I-PACE. Autonomous drive in the future will need joint ventures, partnerships in between government, academia, but also industry and across the industry. And you look for a similar mindset. And you also look for people and companies who are leading in their respective fields. And so the partnership in between Jaguar and Land Rover and Waymo is an ideal combination 
to go ahead and are leading on the way into the autonomous future. Key phrase there, go with the leader. Waymo is clearly the leader when it comes to self-driving technology right now. You know, amidst all this bloodbath in this autonomous space in terms of the chips, for instance, that have really sold off, you know, NVIDIA had an, an right. analyst meeting just yesterday, and they had this target, which struck me, it was interesting timing, 100 million self-driving cars, 10 million robo-taxis by 2025. 2025. Yowza. 10 million? Yeah. That's, I mean, let's just look at the United States. There's yeah. 275 million vehicles out on the road right now. I have not come across anybody who believes by 2025 that you're going to see several million self-driving vehicles, let alone 10 million. Over, now, yeah, I, mean, I know they're talking globally, worldwide, right. but that is highly ambitious. Excuse me. Day three of Phil LeBeau here at Fast Money Record. Phil, what was the coolest car you saw out there? Well, I like the Audi RS5 Sportback. Ooh, you know, when you talk cool. about the <laughs> New York Auto Show, Sportback. you're yeah. talking about your luxury what models is? that... Look, they're limited numbers that are built. You're not looking at your mass market numbers. Um, and that's, that's one of those that's pretty darn impressive. What, what, what was so cool about it? What was so impressive? I, mean, I, I think, first of all, I think Audi has it right now in terms of the styling and in terms of the performance. And the RS5 Sportback, I think, well, I haven't had a chance to drive it. When I right. do, I can't wait. Always great to have you here, Phil. Awesome. Phil LeBeau. Final Trades up next. Pete. Love what I'm seeing at Microsoft. This stock's going higher. Giddy up. Tim Seymour. In this market environment, a name like Altria, M-O, mm. going to work for you. Steve. Sold a ton of stock today. I didn't sell Twitter. Oh. Twitter, final trade. Ooh, interesting. Three Gate. days with LeBeau. That should be like a movie. Three days with LeBeau. Like a movie, like Radon and Teddy. Brilliant. brilliant. What you're talking you know what else is brilliant? Right the performance of uh, some of the big cap pharma names, specifically PFE. That'll get you done. Yeah, it does. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.